This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio, wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. What's going on? Welcome into a special edition of the Black and Blue Report, a one-day NBA Draft Lottery edition of the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Salerson. Alongside me, Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. We're here today to kind of go over the draft lottery because it is tomorrow uh, on ESPN before uh, Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Cavs and the Raptors. So for those of you that are really not familiar with the draft lottery and what the implications are, We'll kind of go over this with you, Jim. It's good to talk to you. I know it's May, and we haven't had a black and blue report in a few weeks, but it's nice to talk some basketball right now. It definitely is. I always uh, enjoy the lottery, whether the Pelicans are involved or not. It's always a very interesting and intriguing part of the offseason, especially at a time where teams that aren't in the playoffs um, don't have a ton of stuff going on at, at the moment. Yeah, so there's a pros and cons about being in the draft lottery. The con is that means we are uh, not in the playoffs. So that is part of the reason that we are in the draft lottery. The pro, though, is um, slated right now um, with the sixth pick as far as the odds are concerned. We'll go over that. So it's nice to have some promise as far as Pelicans landing a first-round pick, a potential superstar in the future here for New Orleans. So we'll go over a bunch of stuff today. We'll also take your Twitter questions that we kind of asked for starting last week. We'll go over the Pelicans' lottery odds. We'll go over other teams' lottery implications. Some teams could earn a lottery pick after tomorrow. Some teams could lose their pick as well tomorrow. So Jim will kind of help me break down those things. We'll also talk about the combine that was last week in Chicago as Jim was there to kind of uh, interview some players, some coaches, um, kind of see how that's kind of developed as far as the NBA is concerned. It's a little different uh, between the NFL combine and the NBA combine still as far as popularity, but a lot of teams are starting to lo- use this NBA draft, uh, this NBA combine for uh, other reasons, not just the basketball play, but the interviews as well. And then we'll kind of go into the offseason a little bit, some trends that Jim's kind of noticed or might notice here um, entering free agency on July 1. So, Jim, let's start with the Pelicans and their lottery chances First off, um, there are some positions that the Pelicans will not be able to do, four and five. Um, Talk about as far as chances the Pelicans can land the number one pick and then maybe a top three spot. Sure. The, um, you know, I think the one thing that, the the obvious thing that people always focus on going into the lottery is what are your percentage chances of winning it? Um, The Pelicans is 6.3%, which is not great. But, um, you know, it's, there's, like, like you mentioned, there's only five teams that have a better chance of winning the lottery. I do think that it's also important to look at, um, like you said, your chances of being in the top three. When you the percentage for the Pelicans of finishing one, two, or three is actually twenty-one point five percent. So you're starting to get a little bit more realistic that it's not, you know, a long shot or a pipe dream the way you know specifically finishing first is. Also, the way the draft is this year. There's uh, this is not a news flash by any means that people look at this draft as is there's two guys that are in contention for either the first or second pick, so I think a lot of teams are of course everyone wants to move into the top three but also the top two is a, is something key to look at. Um, the Pelicans' chances of finishing first or second is 13.4 percent. So that's again it's a little bit more of of a it's not so much of like lightning has to strike to to be able to finish first or second with that type of percentage. It's not a great possibility, 
but it's it's reasonable at you know at, like I said thirteen point four percent. Also, um, they can't. This is part one thing that people get confused about a lot. Because the lottery really only determines the top three spots, and then after that everyone's ordered by reverse order of their record, the Pelicans actually cannot finish fourth or fifth. So they can they can move up into the top three in any of those three spots. They could stay right where they are at six, or they could drop conceivably to seven, eight, or nine. And actually, if you want to look at things in, from a mathematical probability standpoint, um, if there's a 74.4% chance of them finishing either 6th or 7th, it's 439 for them to stay where they are. So obviously common sense tells us that the most likely um, outcome of this lottery will be that they'll be 6th or 7th, but you hope that, you know, you can you that's one of that one aspect of that 21.5% that I mentioned comes through and you you do move up all the way to the into the top three somewhere. So basically when you're watching tomorrow, because they're going to start with pick number 14 and go all the way down, right. um, grab the list of the teams that are in the lottery as far as their odds. So let's say Chicago Bulls are at 14 right now, 0.5% chance of getting the top pick, 1.8% chance of making it into the top three. Kind of go through the order. Bulls, Suns, Jazz, Magic, Bucks, Raptors. If all those start going in order, it means none of them are jumping into the top three. If we right. get to the Pelicans at number six and everything is staying the same, if the Pelicans' name is not called at number six, it means that they have jumped into the top three, and then they'll go to break, they'll do the tease and all that, then we'll watch. It's very similar to how I know this is we experienced this a few years ago when we got Anthony Davis. Fourth worst odds, or fourth best odds of getting the number one pick. They jumped our name there at number four, which means we're in the top three, and then who knows what's going to happen as far as that. Jim, I don't know if it's ever happened, but has it? You talk about picks number seven, eight, nine. There's only a four percent chance of getting the eighth pick, and point one percent chance of getting nine. Has mm-hmm. anyone ever dropped three spots because three teams from outside the top three jumped in? Can you remember that's a time a where that's question. happened? I don't know for sure if it's hap- ever happened. I don't think it has, because um, I think I want to say since they've done the format the way they have, which is going back away a bunch of years now. Um, I don't think there's ever been a case where none of the top three te- teams ended up in the top three. So as far as that goes, I yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that every year, this year it's the Sixers, Lakers, and Celtics. Um, I don't think there's ever been a year where none of those three teams up at the top haven't finished in the top three. So I, I would say very unlikely that, as you said, 0.1% chance. So, I mean, if... If they end up nine, you really know this wasn't their year in terms of lottery luck. That's that's for sure. And that's how Pelicans could jump to seven or eight. That means if someone above the, if someone outside the top three jumps into the lottery, it means number one, two, or three team moves back one. So like the number one pick as far as the Sixers, they can't do any worse than fourth right. if all three teams jump in. And that's why for the Pelicans, they can't do any worse than ninth. And at best, they can obviously be the number one pick. So. Lots of stuff going to happen tomorrow, but there's also implications for other teams, not just the Pelicans. As far as other teams getting picks acquired by trades, a lot of these uh, picks by trade are all often lottery protected. Some of them are not. And for a couple teams, Jim, there's a lot riding on this these ping pong balls tomorrow night. Sure. I mean, I think the, the number one, the most um, consequential night, in the entire NBA tomorrow is the Lakers mm-hmm. as far as the lottery goes 
because they enter with the second best chance of getting the number one pick. But if they drop out of the top three, they lose the pick entirely. And as a bunch of people have pointed out and people that cover the Lakers and some of the things I've read in the last few days, they won 17 games this year. The chances of them being that bad in the future are not very good. So basically this is their best chance, you would think. I mean, who knows the future? Who knows like who they're going to sign in for agency, right. so on and so forth. But you, you got to think this is their best chance in the foreseeable future of getting a marquee guy, getting like a cornerstone out of the draft. But if they if they don't get on the finish in the top three in the lottery, they lose the pick entirely and don't get anyone. So I mean, there's no doubt to me, and I think everyone around the league can agree that the Lakers have more at stake, more riding on what happens Tuesday than anyone else in the league does. That, that's for sure. Um, Who gets that pick real quick if the Lakers are out of the top three? That goes to I think Phoenix. Okay. Yeah, I think it. I think it's from it, I th- I want to say it's still from the it's from the Steve Nash trade. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So, um I might need to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that that's the case. Um so yeah, they're they're definitely number 1. I mean, obviously in terms of how important it is, and I think probably second on that list would probably be the 76ers for obvious reasons that they've been terrible for 3 years in a row, haven't won the lottery at all during that span. Um have the best chance this time at 25%. So um, they got to be up there uh, for obvious reasons at the top. And it's funny, um, I was watching the draft combine stuff after the fact, um, and Tom Penn of ESPN had a, had kind of a funny line, um, kind of a, a little bit of a, of a, um, I don't know, a, a dire comparison he made, though. But he said, you know, people always talk about, hey, you know, they had the worst record in the league. That's great because they, they have the best chance to win the lottery. But he, the comparison he used was he's like, if you went into a doctor and, you know, you had some health problems and the doctor told you, hey, you got a 25% chance of get, of getting through this, would you be, like, really excited? Would you be like, hey, no. this is this is, this is is awesome. I have a 25% chance. So the, the I thought that was really funny. And the point he was making was like, and I totally agree because I've been saying this for the last few years, is like everyone gets so caught up in the, oh, tanking, that's the way to go. You st- they could go 0 and 82, and they'd still only have a 25 percent chance of winning the lottery. So you have a 75 percent chance of not getting the first pick. So um, I thought that was a- just an interesting point to make that I feel like gets lost on people all the time around the NBA. How many times have we been through this? And I I still have to look up the stat, but I look it up every year about the teams with the worst uh, were the best odds of getting number one pick. How many teams have actually gotten that number one pick in the last 20 years? Right. I think it's like two or three. I think it's two. I think it's two. Yeah, yeah. and I think the Timberwolves did it last year, and that broke a long stretch of like 10, right. 12 years, something like that, where the team with the worst record hasn't won the lottery. Remember so. when, I think a couple years ago, the Bobcats, when before they were the Hornets, had the worst record percentage-wise in NBA history. This was after the lockout, I think, when they won yep. seven wins. Mm-hmm. And the Hornets ended up getting the number one pick out of that. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't guarantee, like you said, it's not the NFL where your pick is based on your record. Right. It's not the case. And also, I want to go back real quick before we get into something else. You mentioned the Sixers. So you have three picks in the first round. They actually have control of the Lakers pick if it goes out of the top three. So you could have the Sixers okay. going yeah. one and four or one and five or whatever. If I believe that may have been Andrew Bynum. Was that a trade that actually happened it or was it been. something else? I'm not sure. At I'll this have to point. go through that, but <laughs> I'm reading some in any ways. Yeah. The Sixers would be the one in control of that pick. So okay. the Sixers could have four picks in the first round, which mm. also could be left open for them to trade. Um, maybe before we go 
um, the Boston Celtics. I think they're another team that is yeah. riding high on this lottery, correct? Yeah, I mean, two, there's really two teams that you look at and say the season and, uh, and unfolded in terms of the, the way the season went and now the lottery. You couldn't ask for a better scenario. I mean, the, the Celtics won 48 games, and they're still, because of the trade that they did with Brooklyn that's turned out to be pretty one-sided, they're in the third spot going into the lottery. So, I mean, you you had a great year, had one of the best years they've had in, in recent times since the Garnett, uh, Ray Allen Pierce days, and you still might end up picking you, – you, the chances are pretty good that they're going to pick in the top three. So – and the other team besides them is Toronto Raptors. They because of of a trade, I think it was Bargnani. Um, they're in the lottery. Yeah. So Tuesday night, the Raptors are going to be playing in Game One of the Eastern Conference Finals and in the draft lottery at the same time. How often does that happen? Not a I lot mean, of teams happen, especially so, I mean, going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Right. If you're a Raptors fan, you're really happy. So, and um, I guess one other team that I would kind of highlight that I think is is interesting to look at beyond the teams that we already mentioned is um, the Timberwolves. Timberwolves have um, the unanimous Rookie of the Year Towns that was just announced today, I think. Um, Wiggins won Rookie of the Year last year, yet they're still fifth in the lottery going into it. So, I mean, they could add another, uh, you know, in- incredible piece to what they already have. So I think that's another team that it, that people should be interested to, to watch how they do. Can you imagine they had three of the last number four, number one picks? Yeah, that would be... That'd be something else. And they used know, to have the other one with Bennett. Right, right. That's true. And I know that they, I mean, people always talk about asset management and, and turning thing something into something else. I mean, they turned Kevin Love into a guy who won who, the number one pick in the rookie of the year. I mean, you can't ask for a much better scenario than that. No, so other teams also that um, are kind of, I guess the Knicks are in a bad situation where they had a pretty rough year and they lose their number one right. pick to the Denver Nuggets. They're at the seventh um Best odds of getting number one pick. You mentioned the Raptors at nine, getting that from the Nuggets, and then the Suns are the only other team that have a first round pick, um, two two potential lottery picks, thanks to their trade with the Wizards. I believe that was the Marquise Morris, Morris trade yep. this year. Mm-hmm. They have the 13th pick as far as um, 13 best odds of winning the draft lottery. All right, so we got that. Anything else we missed here as far as the last few picks, or as so. far as teams that could benefit or teams that could hurt from this lottery? I think we covered it. I, I, I mean, it's there's also, I mean, you have a team like Chicago that has a 0.5% chance as the the worst odds. If they, if a team like that somehow moves up to number one or top three, even I think people around the league will be bit, pretty bitter when any team like that because I mean they were in the Eastern Conference semifinals last year, and even though they didn't make the playoffs this year, which is why they're in the lottery, I think people realize that they have a lot of talent. So. Um, and, and, and overall, I think, you know, from the Pelican standpoint, I, I say I would say this pretty much every year. It doesn't change in, in terms of the when you're in the lottery is I think what you want, the best scenario for them is they finish number one, obviously, and then the teams under right underneath them are all in the east. Mm-hmm. You don't want all these – I mean, we've we've talked about this at length in the past. Um, the west is lo- has been loaded for a long time and right. has so many good teams. You don't want the top three of the lottery to be – all teams in the West for obvious reasons. You don't want to be like the Lakers, the Timberwolves, the Suns, because, I mean, the competition is already extremely formidable. So the last thing you want is for some of these other teams that have struggled in recent years to immediately get a big 
bump by adding you know a cornerstone or some a franchise player in the draft valid point there let's go to some of the twitter questions here we asked you last week to submit some questions as far as if you had any um mentioning the draft lottery let's go first to roops our car at fruit roops uh chances of pels getting first pick i think we kind of already discussed that jim but if you want to reiterate um what the chances are the pels get the number one pick it's a 6.3 percent chance to get the number one pick and Top three, which is really, like I said, what what the lottery is all about in terms of what it determines, is 21.5% chance. So that's what you hope. You hope you can get at some some part, you can get that 21.5% to come through for you. All right, let's also go to uh, Joseph Bilio at JD Bilio. Who or what do we have to sacrifice to get the number one pick? Obviously, you can't really go into details about players, but maybe what will it take, not only for the Pelicans, I think, but for any team um, to move up to get that number one pick? I think, I mean, it's a good question. I think it's an it's a somewhat easy answer, though, in terms of I really don't think the chances of of the team that wins the lottery trading that pick are very high. I think almost without a doubt, I'd be shocked if a team wins the lottery and trades that pick, and to be, partly because of the fact that, as I mentioned, a lot of people say there's two guys that are in the uh, – contention for the number one pick um but i i think i do think if a team wins the number one pick and they do trade it the only way they would is if they drop down to two because maybe there's some team that really wants the who a specific guy between simmons and ingram but the team that's picking first is isn't really that sold on either one Mm -hmm. as far as who's better than the other and they're like hey let's drop down to two we'll take whichever guy is available and we'll get something else in the in that trade would it be more picks being exchanged as far as trying to get back to number one maybe a team that has a few more first round picks or is it something that they'd want a veteran maybe not say a superstar but a guy that could make an impact on a team next year i think it depends on the team and i also think too that you know it's it, it is also possible that you could have a scenario unfold where a team i mean what happened with where the Cavs had wiggins number one and traded him comes along so infrequently where they were they had the number one pick but they also because they LeBron was coming back they were in a situation where it's like we're not building now for the future we're trying to get better immediately so say somehow a team that I'm not sure exactly how this could unfold but say like the Bulls end up with the number one pick this year and they know like all of a sudden there's a veteran on a team available somewhere else in the league that they could add and immediately jump up to being back to like a 55-60 win team or whatever. Like that scenario I think could happen where the number one pick is traded and it's traded for a veteran, somebody that can can um you know help a ton right away. But I I feel like that is very unlikely though because most of the teams that are in the lottery would look at the ch- opportunity to get one of those top two guys as kind of a game changer as like something that would change the course of the the direction of the franchise for especially long term but also short term in terms of having like a, just another huge piece that they can build around what about teams like we mentioned the Sixers or the Celtics Celtics who will have three first round picks the Sixers who potentially have four let's say the Sixers get the number one pick but they also get the fourth pick based on the Lakers moving back I mean now you have four picks that could affect how a ton of things change. One, not only who gets number one pick if the Sixers are willing to deal one of those, but also how it could affect the Pelicans as far as teams jumping in to maybe get a player 
um, because they have a pick available to move back or move forward. So um, how does that maybe affect if one of those teams get the number one pick with their trade options having multiple first-round picks, three or more? Yeah, I mean, all that stuff could could definitely play a role. Um, I do think, though, that, I mean, things can change. It's only Mm mid-May, and the draft is June 23rd. Right now, I feel like there's a big, um, I feel like there's no consensus after the top two of like who the third best player right. is. So from that standpoint, I feel like that part of the the first round, like say three through ten, I don't know if you're going to be able to get a ton. Like, say you end up with a third pick, I don't know if you're going to be able to get a ton for that spot because as it stands now, teams will be like, why would we want the third pick? We can get probably get a guy that we like just as much at like eight or ten so I mean but but yeah there's there's a lot of interesting things that could happen with that's based on the fact that like you said some of the these teams have so many picks like Boston I think has eight or something like that in the first two in the two rounds so yeah I'm sure they'll be excuse me wheeling and dealing in that second round if they have five picks in the second round because hard to keep second round picks but could see a lot of trade action yeah. on draft night but also it all just depends on how tomorrow goes yeah it does and danny ainge mentioned i think on espn to the draft combine show that it's possible because they asked him like how are you going to use eight picks and he said you know i think one of the things that's possible is they could use a few of those to stash guys they if they have five second round picks they might use two or three of them on european guys that are still have a year or two left under their on their contracts that they might not be able to come over for a couple of years, but that those don't count as roster spots. So nope. I mean that makes it makes a lot of sense. All right, one more Twitter question um, from at Chris was here. Um, Aaron Balake, I apologize if I mispronounce your last name. Uh, and his Twitter is a a Ron Balake, so I'm guessing it's Aaron. Um, but who do you have as second round sleepers? Really can't go into certain players, but the Pelicans do have two second round picks at 39 mm-hmm. and 40. A chance to maybe have a guy that could see some playing time for the Pelicans next season. Yeah, you know, it's another one of those things where I say there's a lot of time between the draft and opinions can change. But based on what people were talking about in Chicago, all the GMs and some of the writers and people that know a lot about the draft, I feel like this year is a case where there are a good amount of guys. They talked about this on ESPN as well that people may have seen during the show. There's a good number of guys that a lot of teams like and a lot of the draft experts like, but they don't necessarily see them as first-round picks. So there's a chance this year in particular that there could be a, a, a decent amount of guys available in the second round that teams – they're not you're, not, you're not never going to go into the second round saying like, okay, this guy's going to change everything. This guy's going to be a huge difference maker, even though Draymond Green finished in the top 10 in MVP voting and he was the 35th pick fifth pick overall but I do think that there are some there's a good crop of guys that may not be picked in the first round this year that are going to be valuable role players that teams are going to look at and say like hey we can we can slide this guy into being like our seventh man or our eighth man or like a wing defender so they might not have a all-around game that where they're strong in a bunch of areas that would make them a starter, but maybe they can do one or two specific things that can really help you a lot, you know, even as a rookie next season. They can also be one of those guys that you say, hey, let's see how let's take a risk, or not really a risk because there's no guaranteed contracts in right. second-round picks. That let's throw them both in the summer league. We've had guys before like Brian Roberts, Bryce is on Jones, who have Bryce ended up re-signing with the team later on, didn't make the team, but guys sure. that you can kind of evaluate 
put them in your system in the summer league and see what they can do. And if they don't pan out, they don't pan out. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people, you, the two guys you just mentioned were undrafted. And a lot of people think that even though I do think that the early second-round picks are really valuable because they're not guaranteed contracts, but they're guys that – they're priority guys because they're guys that, that you're picking not that long after the first round is over, but you don't have to commit to them. But there's also the scenario of a guy doesn't get picked in the top 60, but you can target which guys you want. You can call up – I mean, t- teams are always making phone calls right after the draft is over to get people to come to Summer League. And also, there, there's guys – like Bryce was a good example of this. He was a guy that the Pelicans liked a lot. And you you call him up and you, or you call his agent and say, like, hey, here's the reasons why we like this guy. Here's why we think he can fit well here. These are some of the things that he does well that we need. And so when the agent or the player are weighing where they want to go, they they'll they might say like, hey, let's go to New Orleans because they, given the whole scenario, the situation of what they need, and how much they like this certain player, it makes sense to go to that team. So, I mean, yeah, you're 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 totally right. It's not just the guys that that get drafted. It's also after the draft. You know, there's always players out there that teams you know for whatever reason didn't take during the draft but have interest in. So lots to look out for if you're a Pelicans fan in the draft. Before we move on to the combine, which you were at, um, I was reading, I guess, some stuff about Fran Fraschilla. I think you kind of tweeted about some of the he th- what he thinks about this uh, crop of draft class here in 2016. And I think, I believe he said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that basically 1 through 10, you could see a lot of impact guys, guys that could play right away um, in this draft. Was that the case? And what do you make of what the Pelicans might be able to get at sixth or wherever they might pick. Yeah, I think I think there there is a, a, a feeling among people that, you know, as Fran Fraschilla said, that, you know, there might be nine or ten guys that can make a big impact the first year. Um, the thing that was interesting about the draft co- combine, I'm not sure how much the average person or the average fan watched, but the thing that was unfortunate was that beyond um, Ben Simmons of LSU, which every, who everyone knew wasn't going to participate – there were a few other guys that dropped out of um, the inter- media interviews. So um, there wasn't a lot of – unfortunately, like, for example, a lot of people have talked about Buddy Heald. We didn't really get any exposure to him at all, even in media interviews, because he didn't didn't do them. Um, a couple other guys that weren't – that dropped out kind of at the last minute. So um, I'm not sure – I thought the Combine was a really good experience from the standpoint of we were able to – we, I probably was there for a good 15 to 20 interviews of different guys. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't think any – there might might not have been one player who's projected to go in the first round that played in the five-on-five. Five. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there were there was definitely some maybe some sleepers that you could watch and say like, hey, this guy played well. But it wasn't the you know top, top of the draft, unfortunately, as far as the guys that were actually playing basketball. Right. So you talked to Dell and you wrote an article about kind of how he uses the interviews as an integral part of the draft mm-hmm. combine. From what you kind of experienced, what you kind of gauged from coaches and executives that while you're there, um, what can we take away from these draft combines as far as the measurements, the five on fives? Sure. What can we weigh as, OK, this could be important for who the Pelicans draft or, hey, this really doesn't matter. We've seen have a lot of game tape on them. Mm-hmm. What can we take away with the combine? slowly developing into something that a lot of these players are going to, what can we take away um, for fans that did watch it? Um, what kind of things maybe we can learn as, 
about a player entering the draft. You know what's interesting is I think I genuinely believe the more people you talk to and the more you find out about the Combine that the most, unfortunately or ironically, the most important part of it for a lot of teams is what you don't see, which is the interviews behind closed doors that they have with players. Um, basically, teams can teams submit like it's kind of like a chart where they say like, okay, here's the A group. You, you might be able to pick write down five names of, like, this is our top priority, guys we want to talk to. Then there's a B group, then there's a C group. Because the way that they set up the interviews and just from a logistical standpoint of um, no player can talk to all 30 teams, the NBA has to kind of prioritize and sort out um, which teams get to interview which guys. So the Pelicans get, just like everybody else, they can't determine completely, like, who they get to talk to. But... um, I do think, though, that that is maybe the most important part of the whole combine because although, yeah, the measurements are great, I don't think I don't think NBA teams put as much into that part of it as NFL teams do. It doesn't seem like um, – I don't think teams are going to say like, oh, this guy's wingspan is two inches shorter. Even though he averaged like four blocks a game last year, mm-hmm. oh, we got we to gotta downgrade him because right. his wingspan isn't great. I think teams in general – have so much video on these guys and with synergy and all the other technological advances and ways to watch every single aspect of every player. I don't think they're learning a ton of new stuff in terms of basketball. They know from based on every guy's played at least, well, other than the European guys, international players, everyone's played at least one year of college. They know that. Um, I think it's really the private meetings that no one sees where they get to sit down with a guy for 15 minutes and ask him different questions, find out about his personality, find out how mature he is. I think that's really the most important part of the combine beyond everything else. As part of also the numbers-wise, the wingspan, the height, also just more to confirm because some colleges like to maybe exaggerate oh, on what sure. a guy's height is, what a yeah. guy's weight is, what a guy's measurements are, that mm-hmm. you can officially confirm what these guys' measurements are at the combine. I think it's it's definitely a small piece. It's definitely a piece of how they evaluate and it might also be in some cases there might be a scenario where you have two guys that you have almost exactly the same um opinion of as far as how how much you want to draft the guy and there might be something that might come into play like you say like hey this got this kid's college listed him as especially with guards this happens a good amount where a guy's listed as like six four and then at the combine, he comes in as like six one, and you're the whole time he played in college. You're like, okay, he's a shooting guard. He's a mm-hmm. prototypical guy. He might be a little smaller than than the average shooting guard, but you know he's six four. Then you get him at the combine, and he's six one, and all of a sudden you're like, he's not going to play shooting guard in the NBA. Right. If he's six one. So so yeah, I definitely think that that if there's it doesn't happen that often, but if there are drastic changes or drastic um, measurements that go way against what you believed, I think that definitely can affect a player, you know, positively or negatively. Man, there's the three inch difference between a guy and his height. Was he wearing like <laughs> Spice Girl shoes when he was getting measured at college? And then, oh, my bad, I put different shoes I, on. I mean, I think it's, surprise me, though. it's happened. And I think another position, too, where that happens is the undersized power forwards. There's a lot of guys in college who are really effective, really good players at that level that basically play the four position power forward, but who are like six five. And in college, you can do that because you're not necessarily going up against consistently guys that have a ton of length. But, I mean, the number of guys that have been really good power forwards in the NBA that were 6'4", 6'5", is probably you could count on one hand. Like, everyone says Charles Barkley was 
really like six five, maybe six six. Um, but um, un- unless you're just a supernatural talent like he was, your chances of being a, a really effective player with with that measurement are not good. So that definitely does affect things and yep. affect the way people perceive different players. No doubt. All right, before uh, we get out of here and get ready for the draft lottery tomorrow, the off season uh, with the draft being on June 23rd, then free agency shortly after, starting July 1st. Salary cap going up with the new CBA. Maybe some trends. How about some trends of what you could see happen as far as maybe free agent signings? Obviously, you can't go into specifics, mm-hmm. but maybe some trends that we might see come the draft and then maybe after with free agency. You know what's funny? I feel like right now it's so interesting to sit around with people from across the NBA, from other teams, even from your own team, and discuss free agency because I feel like there's so many – it's so uncertain because this scenario has never happened before where the salary cap is going up as much as it is. It's so uncertain that people have so many different theories about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that's really intriguing is like, I don't think anyone really knows exactly. But I, I have, from the more I've talked to pe- different people recently, and this is just an educated guess or maybe it's an uneducated guess, you, people can decide on their own. We'll be but, the judge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, I do think that um, with the cap going up as much as it is, everyone looks at it like I, I shouldn't say everyone. A lot of people look at it like the cap's going way up. This is the chance for all these teams to make these huge splashy free agent additions because there's going to be so much money available. But the way I look at it is, um, I actually think there's going to be few on average. I think there's going to be fewer like marquee guys that change teams because I feel like the part of it, the side of the coin that people don't look at as much is if you're cap is going up by 20 something million and you have a guy that you really really want to keep you're not going to let him go you're going to offer him the most money that you possibly can so from that standpoint i feel like the top tier of free agents aren't going to change that much change teams that much if you the other part of it too is if you look at last season if you look at last summer and these are guys these are free agent moves we can talk about because they already happened obviously Mm -hmm. but um some of the guys that a lot of the guys that changed teams that teams wanted to keep the reason they they left was because the of the salary cap that the team simply didn't have enough room. Some of the examples I use are like Demari Carroll, Demari Carroll leaving Atlanta. The Hawks wanted for sure wanted to keep him. Mm-hmm. He was valuable, but they simply couldn't because of the salary cap. The Spurs lost a few guys that were valuable role players like Corey Joseph, um, Aaron Baines, a little bit lower level player, but still somebody they wanted to keep. They had to lose those guys though because of the signing of Lamarcus Aldridge. Part of what I'm saying is that I think this year that's not going to happen as much because I think a lot of teams who have, say, two, three, four prioritized free agents that they want to keep, this year they're not, there aren't going to be, there isn't going to be that scenario of, oh, this team is so hamstrung by the salary cap, so they're going to lose, you know, these three guys. I feel like this year, if anything, there's going to be fewer, there's going to be less movement. I think the guys that are going to change teams are going to be the ones that are kind of on the tier below that where the team that has them has seen them enough and set and says this guy's not worth paying huge money to but some other team somewhere else in the league that wants to make a, a splashy move or wants to make changes is going to say you know even though we probably know deep down that we're overpaying this guy we can convince ourselves that we really need him and therefore we're going to pay him way more than anyone around the league thinks we should or or thinks is reasonable so um, from that standpoint, that's my theory. I could be completely wrong. And a lot of the people that have speculated about 
different scenarios and different um, pathways of how this offseason are gonna is gonna unfold also could be wrong. But I mean that's my theory right now. And from that standpoint, I do feel like there's some agreement on this part of it too. If there aren't that many guys that change teams through free agency or major guys that change teams, I think the trade market could could be more important this year. I think there's going to be teams that say it's July 20th. Every marquee or significant free agent has signed. We ended up, even though we have a lot of money to spend, we ended up with, with not getting anybody that's going to make a huge difference. So what do we do now? We go to the trade market. We say, and this also could affect draft night because there could be teams that preemptively say, um, instead of relying on free agency, we're going to try to make some trade moves. Detroit did the same thing, I think, at the trade deadline. They basically said, we're not going to wait till free agency to, to add guys. We're going to trade for Tobias Harris. They traded for Monte Yunus, even though that trade with Houston got rescinded mm-hmm. because of his, his physical with the back problems he had. But I feel like that part of it could, could be really interesting as well, that you could see more trades and you could see teams trying to make more trades because they either don't want to risk banking on free agency or free agency's over and they didn't end up you know hitting on any of the targets that they were they were going for let me ask you about this because i think the trend of the salary going up it's probably gonna go up every year or yeah every other year or whatever mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. far as that could we see more trades for the purpose of one some guys are under a very cap friendly contract for a few years and that's one of their ways of kind of clearing space knowing that we can keep this guy and save some money knowing that he's under contract for three years. We might eat it if, you know, yeah. he's not good, but it also frees up a little more money that we could use during that. Or some of those could be used in trades of the fact that there's one-year deals. There's two. A lot of these guys might go one-year deals um, mm-hmm. based on the cap going up, and you could see a lot more deadline deals because of expiring contracts. It could be. But from the vantage point of May 2016, without knowing exactly what's going to happen and guessing, I actually kind of feel a little bit the opposite way. I feel like that with the cap going up as much as it is and teams aren't going to be up against the cap as much, that you'll see fewer trades that are based – fewer trades and fewer contract trades that are based on worrying about the salary cap. I feel like you'll see see more – we're doing this move because of basketball considerations and less financially than you did before. But then again, if all the salaries, if the free agency crop of salaries skyrockets, teams are going to still be back in the same situation they are now. But it's whereas a lot of teams are eventually going to be up against the cap. The only difference will be it's an, you're up against a $90 million cap instead of like a $68 million cap. So, um, but I think short term though, I think there'll, there'll be more teams that look at it. There'll be less, scrambling and you know manipulating different f- contracts and different stuff because of the salary cap just from the standpoint that people have money and they're not going to be as concerned about be putting them backing themselves into a corner salary cap wise and this could be just asking the same question but how about will teams look at guys from other teams and go with the new salary cap their contracts don't look as bad as yes. maybe they saw and maybe mm-hmm. do take a chance on a guy thinking well we might not have anything to lose because the cap's going to be a lot higher that this yep. contract doesn't look so bad now. For sure. And I think one of the things that everyone around the NBA is doing, and it, this already started happening last offseason, was you kind of have to reset in your mind completely what is a lot of money. And I think it's going to take a little while to do that. But when you see a couple guys that were at the end of, or they had one year left on their rookie contract last summer, and they signed extensions, 
some of those guys not to throw anybody under the bus, but some of those guys that made like ten million a year in their extensions, people around the league are like, How is that guy worth ten million? But in the new reality of the new salary cap going up so much, I mean, those those um contracts, um like I'll say I'll say Terrence Ross. Even I like Terrence Ross, and I think he's shown in the playoffs. But he's one example of a guy who signed an extension that I think a lot of people around the NBA were like, he hasn't done mm-hmm. hardly anything enough to to warrant that kind of money. But like I said, that money is not. It's just not the same. It's going to take a while for everyone to adjust in their heads to say like, okay, eight million a year is actually just an average contract. It's not you know super super um, a killer to your salary cap. So what we've come to conclusion on this offseason is we really don't know what's going to happen <laughs> because exactly. you, you could have teams, like you said, many of these guys staying put. You also could have a ton of guys going different places mm-hmm. because money could be thrown around. Could be a ton of trades. Who knows? I think this is with the cap going up so much, this could be the first offseason where I don't think anyone knows really what's going to happen. But that's going to be the fun part of it. Exactly. That's, you know, that's exactly what I was going to say is I feel like on June 30th or July 1st when it, when the the calendar turns to July 1st everyone around the NBA is so on pins and needles and, and excited in a way and fans are really excited because it's just a situation where you just don't know what's going to happen and you know that there can be a bunch of changes that can alter the landscape of the NBA a ton but I think especially this year it's going to be that way where people it's going to be exciting I think to see because, like you said, no one really knows what's going to happen, and that's what what, what is going to make it fun. Some of these teams still need to find coaches. The coaching carousel continues, and it seems like when there's, you think it's almost done, something else happens with Scott Skiles resigning a couple days ago in Orlando. Um, should be interesting with some teams that don't even have coaches right now and are trying to scout for who might fit them best as far as the NBA draft is concerned. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we could have an entire podcast just – on like the coaching carousel and we've the state. had some discussions before, just the, not on mic. <laughs> the state of of coaching. Um, I have my own rant thoughts, but I'd say the most concise way that I could put my perspective on the way things have gone lately is like there. This I feel like the the support of coaches has eroded so much. I think Jeff Van Gundy has talked about this during the playoffs a lot, and a few other people um, on ESPN and TNT and so forth. But it's just funny. It seems like there's it's gotten to the point where a lot of these teams are, are trying to point at the coach every single time that anything goes wrong. And it's like I, I don't I don't feel like that's that's a good thing for the, for the league. You you um you want to have some stability. And it's at the point now where it's like I, I wouldn't even be shocked anymore if a, if a team goes to the finals and then decide or wins the championship. And mm-hmm. I know that's absurd, but like it's gotten to the point where a team could win the championship and then like two weeks later they could say, well, we want to go in a different direction with the head coach. And it's not that much further of a leap beyond what's some of the things that have happened. Like Cleveland had the best record in the East and fired their coach. I mean, there's been a handful of cases where it's crazy that teams have had the, like Memphis and Denver both had the best year seasons in franchise history and fired their coach during that next off season. So I mean, it's gotten to the point of absurdity right. at it's, this point. Like you said, they could win the finals, and then they can start off three and seven or three and yeah. eight, and then be fired the next year. Right. So it's the trend is not going in the right direction. But again, that's another story. Um, here's the thing. So I know we don't have a podcast now until late July. But if there's any topics that you think might be something that we could talk about, Jim and I, that 
has of interest to you that maybe we are allowed to talk about, tweet us at Jim underscore Eichenhofer, correct? Yes. At D. Salerson is my Twitter handle. Um, we don't mind doing these. We can do some of these pop-up podcasts just to kind of talk, whether it's the playoffs, whether it's the draft, maybe once it's done, the lottery, um, free agency, once we can talk about it. But who knows, if you want to, anything that you want us to chime in on, feel free to let us know. Uh, the draft lottery is tomorrow, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. It leads up to, I believe, a 7.30 broadcast yes. of Cavs in Raptors. And, of course, follow Jim on Pelicans.com um, for any more information about that. Do you have anything else to add before we get out of here? No, I was going to say, just, um, I I agree. I like, you know, we're in a rhythm during the season where we do a podcast every Tuesday, you and mm-hmm. I. And it's like the Cavs, you know, you, you're you're in a rhythm and then you have to sit out for a week or so. So I like being able to jump in every now and then. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do a podcast every so often. I don't know if, if we can if we can do one coming up for some of these different events, even like summer league or whatever. But um, but yeah, we uh, put us to work. So if you guys yeah. have any input or anything that you want us to talk about, uh, we're glad to do it. We definitely enjoy. I don't mean to speak for Daniel, but we I think we we definitely enjoy doing these podcasts. For yeah, sure. don't speak for me. I don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do enjoy these, and, and we are we're trying to do as much as we are allowed to do as far as NBA rules. And I know some of you kind of wondered about that. And I won't go too much into depth about it, but there are certain things that we are not allowed to talk about leading up to the draft leading up to free agency, but once it's all done, things could change. As far as the NBA draft is concerned on June 23rd, we will have an NBA draft show on the Pelicans radio network, definitely on 99.5 WRNO. It's up to the affiliates whether they want to carry it as well, but we'll certainly have a draft show for you on June 23rd, and we'll cover, for the most part, all the way up to the Pelicans picks in the second round. So that'll be something that we can do. We'll have interviews from the player, hopefully, GM, Gentry, Jim, all those things. So we are going to have some stuff. It's just not in a podcast. And, and also I should add, too, that um, you know people definitely should check out pelicans.com over the next few weeks um, for draft profiles. And, you know, there's always draft workouts. We'll see how, how the draft workout schedule goes and how much we do based on partly based on where they end up in the lottery tomorrow night. So, I mean, there's going to be – there will be stuff going on for sure over the next few weeks leading up to the draft. It's not like – you know, after the lottery, we kind of go away for a few weeks and then come back to the draft. There's, there will be activity going on here, you know, over these next few weeks. And um, it'll be, for people who are really into the draft, I think it'll be something they, they really like and, and look forward to. So a very nerve-wracking 30 minutes, at least for me, it is just watching and the drama and the way they present it leading up to who has the number one pick. Should be exciting as far as the Pelicans are concerned because the bright side is there is a top 10 pick. For the Pelicans, we just don't know where yet, and we'll find out tomorrow starting at 7 o'clock Central on ESPN. Then we'll be back for the draft on June 23rd. And just as Jim Jim mentioned, be sure to look out for Pelicans.com, Summer League, all that stuff in the next few weeks. That'll do it for our draft lottery edition of the Black and Blue Report. Until next time, for Jim Meikenhofer, I'm Daniel Salerson. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening.